Hey everyone, this is Jake, lead pastor of Christ City Church, East Vancouver, and I want to let you know about a few things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 2605 East Pender Street in East Vancouver for worship, word, and sacrament. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church East Vancouver is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to be a part of or hear more of what we believe God has called us to do in East Vancouver, please reach out to me at jake at christcitychurch.ca. This morning's reading comes from Proverbs 10, 31 to 11, 3. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. You may be seated. And as you're being seated, let's just bow our heads in in prayer this morning. So, Father, we come to your word this morning, seeking to posture ourselves as a church, not above your word, that we should judge it, not beside it as if it's a peer, but below your word, submitted to your word and to your kingship, that we might learn by your spirit what you have to say to us as your church. Help us. We are in desperate need of your transforming grace in our life. And we're so thankful this morning it comes through your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning is our second last week in Proverbs. So next week, Heath is leading us through uh, community versus isolation in Proverbs. This week, we're talking about honesty in Proverbs. Honesty in Proverbs. It could be said... That the story of everything, the story of creation begins with someone speaking the truth. Someone speaking the truth. God said, do you remember? Let there be light. Genesis 1 verse 3. And there was truly, undeniably light. He said, let there be trees and there were truly trees. He said, let there be animals. There were truly animals. Creation begins with the speaking of truth. Truth. The speaking into existence, not one truth amongst a plurality of truths, but one true world existing, working, continuing, flourishing according to the designs of the one true God. Of course, the tragedy of this story then, a story that begins in truth, is the introduction of a lie. From truth to lie. After God has spoken the world into existence, spoken what is true, a serpent whispers into the ears of the first humans, do you remember? Did God actually say? Suddenly reality is clouded. Lies. Deceit entered the world. And from the moment this lie was whispered, all creation begins to unravel. Discord is introduced, not only between God and man, but between man and creation and between one another. 
We feel these effects today of this unraveling discord brought about by lies, don't we? It's not a stretch to say this morning that if you've hurt or been hurt in your life, at some point along the line, deception, a falsehood, a untruth can be found. It should not surprise us then this morning that the wise person, remember we're seeking to be wise this summer, the wise person, according to Proverbs, is radically committed to being a person of the truth, to being honest or trustworthy people. People marked by honesty, not just in our words, but in our character and conduct. People who don't just possess a superficial honesty, but people who are gripped by the truth all the way to their core in all aspects of their life. What does this person look like? How do we become them? I want to begin this morning by looking at a problem, and our problem. This is our first point. It'll be on the screen. It's this. It's our honest problem, or our honesty problem, we could say. Now, before we get to the problem of dishonesty, as I was preparing this week, it became clear to me that what a lie is and how we define falsehoods is not entirely clear. That as we go out into the world and speak and do certain things, that what we thought was black and white all of a sudden becomes quite gray, quite complex. It's important because maybe you're already thinking this, there are moments in our life, do you know this? When it not only seems permissible to tell a lie, to tell an untruth, but, but the right thing to tell a lie, an untruth. We can think of examples big and small. For example, a small, a small thing would be this, placing that, um, that beware of dog sign on your front gate to deter burglars and, and anybody else who'd want to get in there, but you don't have a dog. In fact, you have a cat, right? Could be ferocious, I don't know. A big example of this would be in the case of those who hid persecuted Jews during World War II, lying to the Gestapo going door to door. There are no Jews here. They're not here. In the Bible, we find examples of this, what we could call, righteous deception. I don't know if you remember, in the Exodus story, Pharaoh commands all the firstborn Hebrew males to be killed, to be slaughtered. And so he tells the midwives, these Hebrew midwives, he says, hey, when the boys are born, just kill them. And of course, the midwives, they don't do that. They, they, they protect these, these newborn males. And so they go to Pharaoh and they lie to Pharaoh. They say to Pharaoh, and I'm paraphrasing here, listen, these Hebrew women are tough. And they're just popping out these kids. Like they're, and we can't even stop them. They're having them before we get there. Right? We, we can't kill them because they're just too tough for us. They, they, they lie to Pharaoh. Or... In James 2, maybe you know this, Rahab is upheld as a picture of righteousness, a picture of faithfulness. Well, what does Rahab do in, in, in Joshua 2? Rahab hides spies, Israel's spies, and then lies about it. There are, there are no spies here. You, you, you can't find them on the rooftop under the hay. What are we to make of Rahab? What are we to make of these Hebrew midwives? Those who hid Jews during the war and lied about it. Others who would deceive so that harm would not befall on certain people. I want to just clarify this because I think it's important. I've been helped uh, by author and pastor Sam Storms, 
who distinguishes what he calls, uh, between what he calls falsehoods and lies. Falsehoods and lies. Listen to what he writes. He says, a lie is an intentional falsehood that violates someone's right to know the truth. And then he says this, but there are cases in which people forfeit their right to know the truth. So the question is not whether it is ever morally permissible to lie, but what is a lie? And he says this, here's his definition. He says a lie is the intentional declaration or communication of a falsehood designed to deceive someone who has, listen, a moral and legal right to know the truth. A lie is telling an untruth to someone to whom you are morally and legally obligated to speak the truth. There are, however, he says, certain occasions in which you are not under obligation to tell someone the truth. He says in times of war, criminal assault, and so on. I actually think the categories of righteous and wicked which Proverbs gives us are quite helpful this morning. See, if I'm saying or doing something that disadvantages the other for my own advantage, I'm participating in deceit. This is wickedness. It's wickedness. But as the Bible clearly shows us, there are instances where a falsehood can be told righteously. The speaker disadvantaging themselves, putting themselves in harm's way for the advantage of the other. In each and every instance of righteous deception, again, if we want to call it that, the deceiver puts their own life or reputation on the line to act justly for the one facing injustice. And this is big. In Proverbs, being trustworthy is wrapped up with justice. Why should you be trustworthy? Why should you be honest? Because we all know this, right? The people who stand the most to gain from being you know, deceitful and from lying or perpetuating dishonest systems are not people at the bottom. No, no, who, who gains the most? People in power. People at the top. And so often, as Proverbs tells us, lies are used in the marginalization and oppression of people. The withholding of justice from people. For those who would wield power in an ungodly way, a lie, a untruth, is their greatest weapon. And we know this. We don't have to go searching for examples. What's more, even those who would seek to use the truth, right, in service of their wickedness, ultimately, if it's done this way, they are the ones who participate in the lie because they don't serve the truth. I remember one of the first Christian biographies I ever read, and maybe you've read it. It's called God Smuggler. You read that before? But a man named Brother Andrew, who during the era of the Iron Curtain in the Soviet bloc countries, would smuggle Bibles into these closed nations and proclaim the gospel to people who otherwise would not hear about Jesus. Now, Brother Andrew did not come in a van that said, like, Bibles on board. Like that's not how he went to the border crossing. His van was disguised to look like, like that of a, a, a baker's van. Like he was delivering loaves of bread to people, right? Righteous deception. Bringing people oppressed by falsehood, the truth of the gospel, the truth of Jesus. 
And even today, Christians around the world, in the name of furthering the gospel and liberating the oppressed, creatively follow the words of Jesus when he said this. Do you remember? Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. In a world where there are wolves, in certain instances, certain instances, those bent on devouring have forfeited their right to the truth. But if we go back to Proverbs, we find that the wise also withhold the truth for a variety of other reasons. And here's a really simple one. For some people, to tell them the truth is just a waste of your time. It's just pearls before swine. You've said it a million times. Proverbs 23 verse 9 says this, Do not speak in the hearing of a fool. Why? For he will despise the good sense of your words. This is a waste of your time. We've tried to tell the truth. We, we, we've tried to just say it, and, and they don't have ears to hear. Proverbs also tells us that the way we communicate the truth is almost as important as the truth itself. We looked at Proverbs 15.1 when we looked at, at anger, but I think it's applicable here as well. Solomon writes this. He says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. There are some, I'm not going to name names, but there are some on social media, in politics, in your office, right? Maybe you work for them, who pride themselves on being truth tellers, right? I'm a truth teller. Brash, arrogant, harsh people who are literally brutally honest. Brutally honest. And while radical honesty is a mark of the wise, brutal honesty, in fact, brutal anything, is not. The Apostle Paul tells the Ephesian church that if you're going to grow up in Christ, like get healthy, get strong in Christ, like really grow up in Christ, it's because you church, you guys, made a habit of what? Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in severity, right? With strength and power. No, what, is, what does he say? He says in love. Speaking the truth in love. That, that's how you grow up in, in Christ. So weeping when you're talking to someone else about their sin. Weeping when you're confronting a brother or sister. Wisdom, after all, is speaking the right word at the right time in the right way. So we should agree, right? We can agree. There are circumstances, there are circumstances in which we withhold the truth. But if we're being honest, and hopefully we're being honest in the sermon about honesty, if we're being honest in the pie graph of our life, those circumstances where like it's like really complex and like kind of gray and like what's the moral you know, boundary here are like this little sliver and the rest of our life is compromised or, or comprised rather of decisions and, and things that we say or do where it really is just quite clear. But we don't want to tell the truth because of distorted desires we have. And, and so why don't, we, why don't we tell the truth? Why, why do we lie? Why, why do we cheat? I'll talk about me, and if it resonates with you, then that's great. But, but here's why I lie. Here, here's why I cheat. First thing, I, I do not fear the Lord. Solomon told us 
many weeks ago at the beginning of the summer, right, before your vacations, he began Proverbs with these very words. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So remember, fearing the Lord in Proverbs is closely related to associated with trust. With trust. Listen to what two commentators write. Whoever fears I am also what? Trusts him. For they are confident that he upholds the teachings that promise life to the obedient and threaten death to the disobedient. See, when we lie, when we lie to get what we want or to please other people, we're saying this, God, I don't trust you to give me what I need. I don't trust you to give me what I need. And so I'm going to distort reality I'm going to try to shape the world to my image to get my way, to get what I want. And God, you're either lagging behind or you don't know what's good for me. How many heist movies begin with something like this? I tried doing it the right way, but now we're doing it, you know, my way, right? The same scene plays out over and over and over again in our hearts all the time when we lie. We, we think there is something good for us that can be found outside the truth, outside of God. And having bought the lie that life lies elsewhere, we lie and cheat to obtain that which is not life. Let's say that again. Having bought the lie that life lies elsewhere, we lie and cheat to obtain that which is not life. There's another form of dishonest speech that results not from fearing the Lord, but from fearing man. It's called flattery. In, in Proverbs, the flatterer is literally, in the Hebrew, the, the smooth talker, right? The smooth talker. Maybe that's used positively in our context. It's not used positively in Proverbs. The smooth talker. Listen to how the smooth talker is described. Proverbs 26, 28. A lying tongue hates its victims. And a flattering mouth works ruin. Proverbs 28, 23. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Proverbs 29, 5. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Why is smooth talking so dangerous? Why is it so dangerous for both the smooth talker and their hearer? And here's why. The flatterer lures the listener into a false reality to get what the flatterer wants, right? Soon, however, their flattery will be exposed as empty words and that relationship ruined. Or, worse still, the flattery is never exposed and the hearer lives their life according to a false sense of reality, right? How many 20-somethings? My mom said I'm special. I should have all these things. Right? I've always told I'm awesome. And my boss said I'm not that awesome. My, my concern for our church, not for, not for just, just speaking in-house right now, my concern for our church, for us, is that we don't know the difference between encouragement and flattery. That we don't know the difference between encouragement and flattery. One we desperately need, the other is absolute poison. See, flattery is about you. 
man, Jake is so nice. Jake is so great, right? He, he always tells me nice things. Flattery is about you, getting what you want, right? To, to be liked by others, to be loved by people, right? It's the 40 emojis in your text message just to make sure that they know that you really, 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 really love them, right? Encouragement is about the other. Its goal is literally to give the other courage in their walk with Jesus, their fight against sin. And so why do we lie? Why do we cheat? Why are we dishonest people? Because we don't fear the Lord and we don't trust him. Here's the second reason. It's a big one. We think we can hide it. We think we can hide it. We don't think we'll get found out. Do you remember the scene in the garden back in Genesis? Right? Having bought the scene, it's almost hilarious. There's comedy in the first few pages of Genesis. I want you to see that. There's comedy in Genesis. Having bought the lie, Adam and Eve try to do what? Try to hide. Picture that. Like, it's like an elephant behind a blade of grass. Like, you're trying to hide from the Lord. This is what it says. I'll just read it for you. Genesis 3, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. Oh, he can't find us over here. He doesn't know about this spot. Right? It's like a, like a good game of hide and seek in the house. He doesn't know about underneath the stairs. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Where can Adam and Eve go from the presence of God? Where can we go from the presence of God? Hear this, Christ City. Saw, uh, Proverbs 15, it says, uh, it says to us, the eyes of the Lord are in every place. My bedroom? My, my cubicle? On, on my work trip? With, with my family? As I drive? The eyes of the Lord are in every place keeping watch on the evil and the good. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Notice the connection that Solomon makes. No, don't miss the connection here. He not only says that God sees all, not only says that God is omnipresent, but he connects God's all-seeing, all-knowing presence with our speech. He connects God's all-seeing presence with what we say. Specifically, God sees that perverse and twisted and deceitful and dishonest speech. Did you notice that what breaks the spirit? Put it back on the screen. Breaks the spirit. Breaks the spirit. Dishonest speech breaks the spirit. Is there a, like a more accurate description? of the felt effects of deception in your life. The Bible's so good. No wonder some people, upon discovering they've been deceived, sometimes literally crumble to the ground. Breaks the spirit. As they'll often put it, they don't know what's real anymore. To be deceived is incredibly distressing. And it's because, as those same commentators, Waltke and De Silva, remind us, community, relationship, this whole thing depends on communication. 
Community depends on communication, and when communication becomes unreliable, untrustworthy, suspicious, no community, no relationship, no church, no marriage, no friendship, nothing can grow. What hope do we have in the barren wasteland of deception, of broken relationships and confused minds? Here's our second point. Second point, God's honest solution. Now, I'll be honest again. At first pass through Proverbs, there does not seem to be a lot of hope for both the deceiver and the deceived. Those who persist in deception will be judged. That much is abundantly clear. Our passage that we heard Tom read this morning, it began and ended with judgment and destruction. It begins with judgment and destruction, and it ends with judgment and destruction. Look at uh, Proverbs 10.31. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. Look at Proverbs 11.3. That's how our passage ended. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. So I should just say, there is coming a day where the Lord will judge the living and the dead and truth will reign, where all lies will be discovered and exposed. You need to know that. That's part of the gospel message. For those of us who are deceived right now, the picture, again, at first pass in Proverbs, also seems bleak, though. Right now, it seems bleak. Proverbs 16.28 says this, A dishonest man spreads strife. Like sowing seeds. Think of a farmer sowing seeds in a field. Seeds of strife, right? A whisperer separates close friends, just dividing and dividing and dividing and dividing. And yet, despite the hidden hope of Proverbs for both the deceiver and the deceived, there is hope there. I wonder, Neil, if you can put our passage back up on the screen, Proverbs 10.31 to 11.3. In Proverbs 11.2, there's this verse. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. And at first glance, when I read this, it seemed kind of out of place. Like, here are Proverbs about speaking, about honesty, and, and here's this sort of interjection, this interlude about pride and humility. I'm like, okay, fine, kind of irrelevant, keep on going. But, but actually, I think this is the key. Proverbs 11.2 is the key. When pride comes, listen, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. So listen, pride says this. Like God, I can speak reality into existence. Why is that thing so? Because I said it. Pride says, because I said it, it's real. Because I said it, like God, in the beginning, in the Genesis account... I can just create by speaking. Create my world. Create my reality. That's what pride says. Pride says, I can do this, furthermore, and I'll never be found out. Because I'm God. And there's nobody higher than me. Who am I accountable to? I'll never be found out. Pride says, I can speak my own reality into existence. I can do it, I'll never be found out. And pride says, I'm accountable to no one. I'm a master of my destiny. I'm the Lord of my fate. That is the voice of pride. And Proverbs says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. And the hope for a deceived world is that God 
is the unchanging truth. That God is the immovable, true one who said and it was. Whose world functions and moves and flourishes according to his once and for all design. Hebrews 6.18 says, It is impossible for God to lie. For to lie would be for God to go against his very character and nature. If truth then, here's the good news, if truth then is to begin to reclaim the territory lost to deceit, to bring healing to the barren wasteland of deception, it will begin on our part. Here's where it starts. First step, with humble honesty. The second half of that verse, Proverbs 11:2, But with the humble is wisdom. This humble honesty begins with ourselves. Humbly acknowledging that in me and in you, the roots of deceit go deeper than we know. There's an old pastor, old theologian named Jonathan Edwards, and in his book entitled Thoughts on Revival, which by the way, don't you want that? Don't you want many, many people to come to know Jesus? I was at the PE yesterday, just, just down the road. Crowds, like thousands and thousands of people just, just walking. And I said to Maisie last night, my wife, I said, wouldn't it be amazing if all those people were, like, were just going to like, worship Jesus? Like, don't, like, don't we want that in our neighborhood? Wouldn't that be cool to be a part of? I, I'm excited about that. Anyways, Edward says in his book, Thoughts on Revival, he says, here's where revival starts. Here's where a move of God starts. He says, it starts not with you getting somebody else to do something. He says, it starts with humble and honest self-reflection. It starts with self-honesty. It starts with the destruction of spiritual pride in our lives. Again, it's a long quote, but I want to read it for us. It's so good. Edward says this. He says, Spiritual pride tends to speak of other person's sins with bitterness or with laughter and air of contempt. It's just their stuff. But pure Christian humility rather tends either to be silent about these problems or to speak about them with grief and pity. Spiritual pride is very apt to suspect others, but a humble Christian is most guarded about himself. He is as suspicious of nothing in the world as he is of his own heart. Oh, he is as suspicious of nothing in the world as he is of his own heart. The proud person is apt to find fault with other believers that they are low in grace and be quick to note their deficiencies. Listen, but the humble Christian has so much to do at home and sees so much evil in his own heart and is so concerned about it that he is not apt to be very busy with other hearts. He is apt to esteem others better than himself. Knowing our heart's proclivity to self-deception is why Solomon wrote in Proverbs 4, 23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it, what? Flow the springs of life. Humble honesty begins with ourselves. But humble honesty eventually moves out to others because we do not live in isolation. We do not live in, in our own bubbles. We, we live in a world connected. Proverbs 28, 13 says this, 
Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Now, confession is oftentimes spoken of in the church and occasionally from the pulpit as if it's a small thing, as if it's an easy thing. And I don't want to do that this morning. For the one who's being confessed to, the reality is that that confession is like receiving a horrible diagnosis, undergoing surgery for said diagnosis, and then staring down the barrel of recovery for that disease you've got or someone else has sort of launched upon you, all within the span of, of 30 to 30 minutes, 30 seconds to 30 minutes. To be confessed to is to be un- unloaded upon a, a whole world of hurt, a whole world of darkness. And while the confessor immediately feels this reprieve, this joy, this lightness of walking in the truth, and that's good, the confessed too is immediately disoriented by the fact that all the while what they thought was light is in fact dark. What they thought was true was in fact a lie. It's for this reason that many of us avoid confession altogether, sometimes from a noble place of not wanting to do that to other people not wanting to hurt them. And it appears, if we leave it like this, on a horizontal level, that we're at an impasse. On one hand, we want mercy from each other. And he who confesses and forsakes his sins will obtain mercy. But we don't want to hurt other people. On the other hand, the confessed too must also recognize in their own heart that they're full of icky stuff themselves of lies and deception themselves. And so it's just people hurting people. Back and forth we go. Just mercy, I guess. Mercy, I guess. I don't know. It seems that if our hope for mercy, our hope for truth remains on an earthly level, we're destined to go back and forth in deception until we die. We need, we desperately need God to enter the equation. So think about this with me. Here's, here's the part where you're just like, I, I just need to drink. I, I, Jake, you've exposed the problem. I, I just need to drink deeply of the good news. Just open your mouths and just receive the, the fire hose of the good news that God has for us this morning. God sees you for all that you are. The parts of you that you think are hidden and the icky parts that you're not aware of. He sees your heart, not partially, but in full. And this is a terrifying revelation. If, if truly thought about, this is a terrifying revelation. And some of us, in fact, it's so terrifying, we just reject it out of hand. Either saying, okay, God doesn't exist, or if he does exist, he's not like that. And if he does exist and he's not like that, he's actually not interested in me. He's got bigger fish to fry. But there's this psalm, Psalm 139. And, and in Psalm 139, it speaks about this terrifying reality that God knows all of us. But paired in that psalm is the glorious truth that the God who knows all of us knows all of us and is tender towards us. Loves us. He sees us and yet still, despite our ickiness, despite our deception, loves us. Psalm 139, verse 13, For you form my inward parts. 
You lovingly, carefully, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. We'll stop there. See, what does God do? Knowing each of us cover to cover, he sends his truth into a deceived and darkened world. He gives us his truth. He gives us Jesus. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. If it was just full of truth, if Jesus was just full of truth, I'm not sure that'd be good news. But John tells us, the Bible tells us that when Jesus comes, he comes how? Full of grace and truth. So Jesus comes as a truth. And as the truth, he tells us the truth about our predicaments as both deceivers and the deceived. And he shows us how to truly walk as the wise. He exposes us with his light. He is the truth. But he comes as a truth and he reveals God's true posture towards us, all who would believe in his son. His son, full not only of truth, but of grace. So the light that exposes is the light that heals. The light that shows us is the light that loves us and envelops us and wraps around us. Jesus is bursting at the seams with grace for liars and the lied to. He is overflowing with mercy for those who have willingly walked into the darkness or for those who have had darkness imposed upon them. In Jesus, God speaks honestly about our deception. It's so bad, it's so dark, it's so icky, it will require the death of my son. And that's the cross. But God's son will not remain dead. God's son will have victory over the darkness, over the deceiver himself, so that you and I, as Proverbs says, can obtain mercy. Mercy. God's compassionate action in the world is God's honest solution to our deception problem. God's grace. God's mercy. The late pastor, Tim Keller, he said this. God's loving, saving love in Christ is marked both by radical truthfulness about who we are, so radical truthfulness about who we are, and yet also radical unconditional commitment to us. Think about those things. God's saving love in Christ is marked by radical truthfulness about who we are, and yet also radical unconditional commitment to us. Well, we need both of those things for, as Keller says, the merciful commitment strengthens us to see the truth about ourselves and repent right? You can be honest in a relationship you know is secure. And the conviction and repentance moves us to cling to and rest in God's mercy and grace. Where else can we turn? Where else can liars go? Where else can the lie to go? Christ City, receive this. May we not only be a people who speak and deal honestly, May we also know the God who honestly sees us for all that we are and does not leave us or forsake us, stays with us, who, if we repent, does not cut us off as we deserve, who, in Jesus, 
honestly pronounces us forgiven and invites you and me today to walk in the light, to walk in the truth. Let's pray. God, we confess this morning that our hearts are not right before you. That we have both lied and been lied to. We have hurt and been hurt. And we are in desperate need of your son Jesus, the way, the truth, to be made real to us this morning. So would you be so merciful as to encounter us by your spirit as we continue to worship this morning, but also as we leave. May we be people who in our honest dealings at work, in our relationships, and wherever we go, shine the light of Christ in every corner and every sphere of influence we have in the city and beyond. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for your word to us this morning. Amen.